Amen. I want you to open your Bibles to John chapter 2. We are starting a brand new sermon series, a sermon series called Miracles. And um, what we are going to be doing is we're going to be looking through the seven different miracles that take place in the book of John. John, very specifically and also very strategically, gives us seven different miracles. And tonight we're going to talk about the very first miracle. But I want to begin with a short little story of why? Why this sermon series on miracles? Why? Because I really felt called to this. Let me start with a little bit of a metaphor um, that comes in the form of a true story. So there's this guy named Joshua Bell. I was not familiar with him. Maybe some of you are. Joshua Bell is considered one of the most foremost violin players in the whole entire world. Um, he'll play in concerts, sell them out. You know, if you want to sit in the nosebleeds, you need at least $200 to get in. Well, there was an experiment that was done. I think it was the Washington Post. This was back in early 2000s. I want to say it was like 2007. And what they did is um, Joshua Bell had just gotten done playing in... I don't remember the, the, the music hall it was in D.C., but it was this prominent musical hall in Washington, D.C. It was $250 just to sit in the upper nosebleeds. It is packed out. He played a violin that was worth $2.5 million. I mean, incredible. So three days later, Joshua Bell got his violin. I don't think it was a $2.5 million one for, you'll see reasons why. And he went um, into the DC kind of train transportation area and went to what was, I think it was the second busiest train stop in all of DC. Tens of thousands of people go to this train stop every single day. And he set up shop, opened his little violin box, got his violin, you know, so people could drop in tips of $250, right? And he began to play and he played for 45 minutes and they had cameras set up. Again, three days after he just got done playing for $250 a pop. After 45 minutes of playing, 1,097 people walked by, seven stopped. Seven stopped to listen. In over 45 minutes, he was able to make $35 and like 37 cents in tips. And the only reason it was that high is because there was one guy who recognized actually who it was, pulled out a $20 bill and put it in there. Everybody else walked on by. Everybody else had no idea what was happening. This is one of the greatest violin players in the world. And less than 1% of people stop to take it in. And I think it's almost a metaphor for the reality that Jesus is at work in our lives. Not just the big moments of our lives, but in the nitty gritty, every single day, moment by moment, in the car, at work, with the kids, around other people, even right here in this moment, Jesus is at work in our lives. But how many of us actually can see it? How many of us can actually see the work that Jesus is doing in our lives? You know, Hebrews says that Jesus is the same today, yesterday, and forever. And so what that means is that when we read about Jesus's miracles, we don't go read it and go, oh, that'd be so cool if I was there. 
That'd be so neat if, if I could see Jesus do a miracle. What if I were to tell you that Jesus is at work doing miracles in your life, dare I say, all day long? What if? So why this sermon series? Some of you don't know this. I know this. March 1st is in two days. Does anybody remember what happened on March 1st, 2020? Some of you weren't here. God bless you. <laughs> Some of you were. Started our church service at Hazen High School. We'd been there for seven years. What can go wrong? A custodian pulls me aside and says, you have to leave. I said, we just got started. We'll leave after. No, you need to leave right here, right now. Because there is a suspected case of a student who had COVID who was here five days ago. You know, we, we, you, know you don't remember this. Like, we, we didn't know that. What, what, what the, here's the funny part is one of our guys, Micah, went to the school the next week because we weren't going to, obviously, we didn't meet there next week. And Micah told us, he's like, yeah, there was a guy with a hazmat suit cleaning the floors in there. But do you remember this? Some of you remember this. I had to get in front of our church and say, hey, guys, we, we have to leave right now. Um, I thought for a second, some of you'd be like, no, get out of my way, you know, getting your kids. You guys were like extremely calm in that moment. Um, but we left. And then we went to church online. And then we went on church online for even longer than that in my house I mean, don't, I'm wasting time talking about this. It didn't go well, guys. And then, and then we went to the Metropolitan Banquet Hall, couldn't have children's ministry there, at least the way that we, we prefer to have it. And then we went back online again because we couldn't meet there anymore. And then we came here. Thank you, praise God for this place. But don't worry, you only have to meet six hours later than you usually meet and have been meeting for the past, you know, 30 years of your life there. It's hard to break 30-year habits, is it not? Some of you are a little bit older. It's, it's longer than that. And, and, and it's been a journey for us as a church, has it not? It's been a challenge for us as a church, has it not? It's been a relational challenge. It, it's been hard. Now, let's not get stuck on, on, on how it's been hard for us as a church. It's been hard for probably each of you personally. I'm convinced that probably every single one of us has experienced at least what, what is referred to as a little T trauma. Some of you, big T trauma, where you'll never forget this. You've lost friends because of politics. You've lost friends because of masks or no masks, vaccines or no vaccines. You've gotten arguments You've, you, it's been hard. You've been lonely. You've been separated. Some of you maybe have got to the point where you're struggling with depression, anxiety, fear. And what's so hard is not everyone is experiencing the same kind of fear. Not every single one of us is experiencing the same kind of anxiety. Not all of us are experiencing the same kind of, of emotional weight. We're all over the spectrum. So it's not like we can come together and all agree and go, at least we all agree on it. No, we're all across the board. And it's been really hard. But here's what I want us to see. And we'll see this in this passage. Everybody wants a miracle. Nobody wants to be in a situation that necessitates a miracle. You feel me? 
yeah, I want Jesus to do some miracles in my life just as long as my life is always really good and easy and smooth. No, 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 it doesn't go that way. Every time Jesus does a miracle, it's because there's a problem. And I wanted to do this sermon series. Partly, I'm gonna get a little personal at the end, a little personal story. But, but I truly believe that Jesus is at work. He's not done with our church. He's not done with you. And what we need to see is we need to open up our eyes and see that Jesus is at work work. He is doing all kinds of miraculous things around us. And it's just been real hard to see it because of the distractions of the anxiety, the worry, the stress, the mandates, the relational hardships. Dare I go on? And what I want us to see tonight is that Jesus is actively involved and actively at work in your life. That Jesus what we're going to see here is at work, not just in a quantitative way, but in a qualitative way. And what you and I can do to join Jesus in that miraculous work of our lives. Amen? Amen. Anybody need a miracle? Amen. So here we go. John chapter 2. Jesus' very first miracle, by the way. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Fun fact, Jesus' mother is never named Mary, by the way. She's never named in the book of John. I'll let you chew on that for a while. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, yes, this was wine, friends. Again, I won't get stuck there. But when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no more wine. They have no wine. So let's, let's set the scene here. Jesus' ministry, it has just started. He has called at least a portion of his disciples that are following him. Now he gets invited to a wedding. Hey, give me an amen if you enjoy a wedding. Amen. Good food. Everybody's dressed up real nice. Just everybody's happy. I love weddings. I love officiating weddings. It's fantastic, especially when there's good food and good drink there. And that was the case for ancient weddings. They didn't just celebrate for a day. They would celebrate and do a wedding feast as long as a week long. Now, some of you with some daughters, that makes you nervous, right? Because you paid for one day's worth of wedding, but now multiple days. Now, but here's, here's the interesting thing here, is it was the groom's family, it was their job to kind of take care of all the arrangements, all of the food, all of the drink. And so here we are, they, are, um, they have started this wedding, and, and it's not clear what day it is. It, it seems if it's, it's early on in the wedding, they run out of wine. You know, no problem, just go to Safeway, go to QFC, go to one of those places, you can just buy a few cases of wine, no problem at all. Friends, they didn't have any of that, right? It's not like you can just go and grab a case or a barrel of wine. When the wine's out, the wine's out and there's lots of people. And it's not like, oh, we'll just drink Coca-Cola or we'll just go with Pepsi. No, no, no. It's wine or it's water. You choose. And it's a wedding. No one be drinking some water. It's time for the toast. What are we, drink? What are we toasting with? Water, right? So it's a problem. It's not 
a little problem. It's a problem because for this family, it, it might have come at the cost of their reputation. And so there is a problem. And again, I'll just say it one more time. We all want a miracle, but we all, we don't all necessarily want to be put in a position that necessitates a miracle. But can you have one without the other? I wonder if this is exactly what we need to reframe the problems and the issues and the hardships and the anxieties and the stresses of our life. What if when we hit that bump in the road in our life, that problem, that issue, that fight, that, that thing that you're like, oh, again, I don't want to deal with. What if instead you said, oh, all right, Lord, perfect opportunity for you to work in a way that only you can work. And it's just, it, when I look at this season, for, even for our church, I think about our church quite a bit. I'm a pastor, sorry, it's just part, it's the nature of the job. There's a sense in the past two years where I felt so overwhelmed, so anxious, so it's been so hard. I don't need to hide that. We all know that. But I feel like God's brought me to this place of saying, hey, Zach, what if this is exactly where I want you to be? What if this is exactly where I want the Mission Church to be? What if what I'm about ready to do in and through your church is far beyond what you could ever ask, imagine, or dream? What if this is a perfect opportunity for Jesus to show up? And you're gonna have a problem, an issue, a struggle, an anxiety, a fear happen to you this week. And what if you put on the brakes and said, okay, Lord, this is a perfect opportunity for you to do what I can't do myself. Amen? Is that good preaching? That was a good word for me, at least. Take it, leave it. So, it's not a little problem, right? It's a bigger problem, but let's be clear here, okay? This is not that big of a problem. Let's not overstate it. Like, nobody's life is at stake here. The next miracle we look at next week, someone's going to die unless Jesus intervenes. That's a big deal, right? Nor at this wedding is, is, is someone um, uh, suffering from a physical disability. There's, there's no one paralyzed, no one mute. There's no one here who's bleeding. Nor is there kind of a spiritual oppression happening. There's no demonic activity at this wedding. What's the issue? They just don't have any wine. I was trying to find the right word. This is the best I could do. Forgive me, this might be an overstatement. Of all of Jesus' miracles that he does, he does some good ones, does he not? This might be, again, I'm not sure if this is the right word. This might be one of the more superficial ones. He's not so much meeting a need as much as he's meeting a want, right? I'm pretty sure the bride and groom's marriage is not hinging on whether they get more wine, right? It's as if Jesus is saying, the very first miracle I do, 
I want people to see that not only am I able to do, not only is nothing too big for Jesus, because he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. That's pretty big, right? He's going to raise himself from the dead. It's as if Jesus is saying, nothing is too big for me, but you know what? Nothing's also too small for me. Nothing is too small for Jesus to show up and be at work in your life. Jesus is at work, desires to be at work in the everyday stuff of your life, even on Mondays, even at your lunch break, even when you're driving in the car, probably especially when you're driving in the car in traffic. That disagreement you have with your spouse, that frustration you have you're working through with your kiddo, that problem at work you can't seem to solve, what if Jesus is able to be at work in those kind of everyday stuff of your life, at work in a way that's far beyond what you could ever do yourself? That's what I love about Mary. What does Mary do in this problem? What does she do? She just asks Jesus for help. That's not a bad idea, guys. That'll preach right there. When you're in trouble, when you have a problem, when you have an issue, when you run out of food, when you run out of wine, what do you typically do? I gotta go to the store. I gotta find a solution. I gotta figure this out. I need, I need to do something. What if you just stopped and prayed? Novel idea. Mary stops and says, Jesus, I, I need your help. Now, she has no idea what's about ready to happen. Jesus, again, he's never done any miracles before this. She's asking for help. She typically would ask her husband for help, but Joseph is not there. He's most likely dead at this point. And so what does she do? She goes to her oldest son. I need your help. I think there's a lesson there for us. Something's gonna happen between now and when you go to bed that, that's gonna be a bump in the road. Maybe something that makes you anxious or worried or stressed or maybe a little frustration or maybe it's someone. What if instead of you solving it, you just stopped and said, Lord, would you show up? Would you work? Would you, would you, I need you. And then it's gonna happen all day tomorrow and every single day, all day what if instead of you figuring it out, you took the advice of the Apostle Paul where he said, pray without ceasing. ceasing. Just, just give it to the Lord. That's what Mary does. I, I love that. So let's keep reading here. And Jesus said to her, woman, this is a term of endearment, by the way. If I called my mom woman, that just wouldn't go well. Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And he, whenever he talks about his hour in the book of John, he's talking about his crucifixion on the cross, why he came. Jesus came not just to do miracles to display who he is. He came to save you and I from our sins and give us eternal life. And his mother said to the servants, just, just do whatever he asks. I love that. Just do whatever he asks. Verse six, now there were six stone water jars, six, okay, everybody go like this, six. We're gonna do a little bit of math here at some point. Six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. So this is pretty big jars. They're 20 or 30 gallons in size, just for the sake of argument, just for the sake of wrapping our heads around this. Let's just say each of them are 20 gallons. Water would go in this. This was the place where they would do their Jewish rites of, uh, um, of, of cleansing. It was not something 
based on scripture. It was based on something they just kind of made up. Like, hey, we, just, we should wash our hands and it's our way of purifying some things. And so Jesus said to the servants, fill the water, fill the jars with water. Because that makes sense, right? You have no wine, fill jars with water. Did you make the connection there? Does that work for you? When's the last time you filled a five-gallon bucket full of water and it turned into wine? It hasn't worked for me yet. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast, now the master of the feast, by the way, he was the master of the feast. He, 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 he was kind of the MC. He kind of oversaw everything, made sure, kind of the officiant of sorts, kind of like maybe at a wedding, you would have the officiant who, 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 who does the marrying. And sometimes even the officiant gets the opportunity to, you know, announce the bride and the groom. They're, they're kind of MCing the whole thing in charge of the whole thing. Well, the master of the feast, <laughs> he's pretty impressed with this wine here. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know. Did you catch that? He had no idea. He did not know where it came from. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, yes, it kind of means what you think it means, when they've had plenty to drink. I know that never happens to you. Thank you very much, because the Bible says don't get drunk. Then they pour, then the poor wine, then the, the, the less good wine. Let them drink the really expensive, you know, the $80 bottle of wine. And then, you know, that $3 bottle of wine at QFC, go where it's at the bottom shelf, grab it. I wouldn't know, of course, but grab it and, and then serve that stuff later, right? That's typically how you do it. But, but you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs... I've got that word signs in my Bible circled. John never calls Jesus' miracles miracles. He calls them signs. Why? Because they were meant to be a sign, like a signpost that says, this is the Son of God. This is not just a man who's got some cool parlor tricks. Ooh, look how I turned water into wine. No, no, no. It is a sign to point to everyone, this is the Son of God. He is divine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This was his first sign Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. I just want to end with a few observations. Observation number one, the quantity of this wine is ridiculous. Six kind of barrels of sorts, 20 gallons each. Could be up to 30 gallons. Let's just call them 20 gallons for easy math. 120 gallons total, at least, minimum, 120 gallons. Five bottles of wine equals one gallon. So if my calculator math was correct, 600 gallons of wine. Um, each bottle of wine is, is, is I think it's like 2.5 um, or maybe it's less than that. This was a total of 990 pounds of grapes. And oh, by the way, it takes at least a minimum of two months for the fermentation process. He did this pretty quickly, did he not? 600 bottles of wine, guys. 
you know the groom is going, sweet, I've got wine for the next five years. This is fantastic. I've got Christmas presents taken care of for the next 10 years. This is, this is great. But it, what John the author wants us to see is Jesus doesn't just fill each glass. He gives them so much, it is beyond what they could ever ask or imagine. It's as if, it's as if John wants us to see Jesus can do so much more than we could ever ask or imagine. I wonder if some of you have a hard time dreaming as big as Jesus dreams and imagining and envisioning the kinds of things that Jesus could both do in your life, through your life, Sometimes we'll pray for someone who has cancer. Lord, just, um, if it's your will, would you heal them? I'm one of those people who's like, you know what, Lord, if it's your will, go for it. It's your will. But you know what? I'm going to pray that you heal them because you can. Sometimes we hedge our prayers, do we not? And, and this passage is saying, Jesus, Ephesians 3.20 says this, for he who is able to do far more abundantly than we could ever ask or think. Some of you can think big. Cyrus, it's laughable. I'm like, stop making stuff up. He just thinks so big, so outside of the box, so crazy. And Ephesians 3 says, Jesus can do way more than that. What are the things that are so far beyond you could ever ask or imagine that Jesus is at work in your life even now? I want you to see something really important. Not only the quantity and obviously the quality, right? The, the master of the feast just can't help but tell everybody how good this wine is. Not, not only do we see how lavish Jesus is in working in our lives, but how easy it is for us to miss it. Who noticed that this miracle actually happened? The servants and the disciples. Mary doesn't even seem to know what happened. Can you imagine? These people are sitting at their tables. They're cheersing it. This is the best. This, this is so good. Which vineyard did it come from? Oh, man, this is amazing. And they're drinking, toasting to each other. And the servants are looking around, and the disciples are like, they have no idea that was water five minutes ago. They're totally missing it. What are we missing? So here's where it gets personal. One of the reasons why I wanted to do this sermon series. Uh, I've shared this before. Every year, Melissa and I, we go on a multi-day retreat. Just her and I, no kids. Amen, parents. Whoa, okay, all right, fine. Sure, that was, for those of you who are watching online, that was the weakest amen I've ever heard in my life. So we, we, we go, 
my in-laws and, and my sister-in-law, brother-in-law, they take our kids. God bless you guys. There's, there's treasures in heaven for each of you for that. Um, so we hope so. Yes, hope so. Yeah. Um, so we go. And we, we do all kinds of things. We plan for, for the next year. We, we kind of re, be reflective over the past year. You know, what is God teaching us? And, 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 and kind of what are some new rhythms we need to have? But one of the favorite things we do is we come up for a word of the year. A word of the year. A verse of the year for us. And the word we came up with, and, and I didn't come up with it. Melissa did. And it was like, mm, that'll preach. Is the word was Miracle. Up until that point, there was just a lot of things in our life, and in some cases still be, that are just kind of in limbo. There's a lot of things in our life right now that, God, we would love for you to just show up and work in tremendous ways. My dad has stage four cancer, and we're praying, God, do a miracle, heal him. I, I have a sister who, at the time, was not walking with the Lord. My younger sister, not walking with the Lord, just in a really tough spot. One of my best friends is um, in prison for a very unjust reason. Lord, would you deliver him out? Just even the season we're in as a church, it's like, God, just bring breakthrough, bring miracles, bring revival. And, and there's all kinds of other things that, that I didn't list, that, some related to our family and foster care and our foster child. We just said miracle. Mir the word of the year is miracle. At one point, we thought about like steadfastness. I'm like, mm, I'm done with steadfastness. No, miracle. Amen, right? So 2022 gets off to a start of sorts. Um, it is one of those like 2022, nothing's changed. Omicron, way to go. So 2022 starts off and there was a really tough situation I was in. And I just, I said, Melissa, we need to pray about this. And so we pray about it. And uh, later on the day, she said, so, you know, you know, what happened? How's it going? I said, you know, it, it's incredible. It was just like, everything just worked out really well. And, um, and I just didn't think anything of it. It was just like, yes, worked out well. And Melissa goes, that was a miracle. Oh, well, I mean, it wasn't water into wine, but I guess you're right. I couldn't have made that happen. That was a miracle. So the next morning I got up and I got out my journal. I said, you know what? I I'm going to start recording these here. So I wrote it down, wrote the miracle down. And, and each and every day, I start my day thinking, okay, is there any miracles? And, and, and so, so I have this list. Uh, I think it's like there's 15 miracles. The things that we prayed for and God showed up and answered or, or things we didn't pray for and it was just a tough spot and God just worked and did something we could have never done ourselves. And I've just, just been writing these down just as a kind of like, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And, and here's what's happened to me. I've realized, holy smokes, God is at work in my life. I just had a hard time seeing it. One of the coolest ones is my younger sister. Just a real tough season. It's a whole story. It's not my place to share. But she, she walked away from the Lord. And so we, Melissa and I started praying for her. Um, about a week into uh, 2022, I got a letter in the mail from her. Just, and she said, I, I, I wanted to let you know, Zach, that I, I gave my life back to Jesus. I'm following Jesus now. Um, and I got someone in my life who's, who's, who's discipling me. I'm like, miracle. My dad calls me up like three or four weeks later. He's like, you're not going to believe this. Your sister 
She wants to do YWAM. Some of you don't know what that is. It, youth with a Mission, it, it's basically um, a six-month immersion, become a missionary. I'm probably not describing it as better as some of you have been, have been to YWAM, done YWAM. It's a six-month minimum commitment, and you're just a full-time missionary for six months, just diving deep in. And my dad is telling me this, and he's, you know, he's like, well, you know, we'll see if it goes through. She's got to apply. And uh, sorry, you know, there's that verse about like rebuke a father gently. I didn't do a good job. I'm like, dad, no, this is a miracle. Stop. No, no, no. We need to believe in the name of Jesus. This is incredible. I had like a tear coming down my face. I'm like, God, here, we were just praying that she'd come to know Jesus, not become a missionary, right? Everybody misses the miracle except the servants and the disciples. Why did they not miss the miracle? Here's why. They were close to Jesus. The people who missed the miracle weren't close to Jesus. The people who saw the miracle were blown away by the miracle were the servants who obeyed and the disciples who believed and saw. I want to be clear, this sermon series is not about you getting Jesus to do miracles in your life. This is not about pursuing a miracle, it's about pursuing Jesus. It's not about seeking a miracle, it's about seeking Jesus. This whole sermon series is about seeking Jesus Christ and finding that he will do far more abundantly than you could ever ask or imagine. You think this is cool? Jesus is gonna go die on the cross for our sins and three days later rise from the dead so that we can escape the punishment of hell and have eternity with him. And so this sermon series, it's not about you seeking a miracle. It's about you seeking Jesus. It's not about you getting as close as possible to a miracle. It's about you as getting close as possible to Jesus and beginning to see he is at work in your life. Amen? And so I, I want to end by simply inviting you to go crazy. I stated that wrong. I don't have notes for this part of my message. I could take that any given way. What things in your life that are, what things are going on in your life that are so far beyond you? But it would be incredible for Jesus to intercede. Just, just pray it. Why not? I got my dad's cancer on my list. I've got my sister. I'll check that one off. I've got a number of other things on this list, and I can't wait to see how Jesus is going to answer each and every one of those, most likely in a far better way than I'm even praying. And when we start praying, we start having our eyes open up to see it. And so be bold, be courageous. And so our worship team is going to come up. Some of you, maybe you need some help in this. Sometimes, sometimes you don't have enough faith to get started. You need some other people's faith to come support you. Kind of like that paralyzed man who's got four friends who have all the faith to say, Jesus will heal you. And he's like, I don't know, just sure. And Jesus says, because of those four guys' faith, 
I'm going to heal you. And so I'm going to position myself in the back. And if you want to sing songs of worship, please do so. But some of you, if you need prayer, would you give me the honor of praying for you, over you? Let's believe Jesus for some incredible things in our life. Amen? Amen. Let's worship.